Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. We are in our third week of a series about the generation to come. If you missed last week, you can find it through the Church Center app. You can find it through the website, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Don't, don't, don't be out of the loop as to what we're, what we're watching God do each and every week. So you can check into that online and catch up. The generation to come. Our theme verse is out of Psalm 78. We got it on the screen for your reading. The psalmist said, we will not hide them from their children. Look at this. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. If you have your Bible on your phone, in your lap, open it up, pull it up. I'll have it on the screen for your reading. Rest yourself. Sit down for just a minute. 2 Timothy. I want to read a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 3. If you're ready for the word this morning, somebody shout amen. Amen. The Bible says in verse number 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. I want you to look at verse number five. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded Look at this. I am persuaded that same unfeigned faith that was in your nana and in your mama, he says, I am convinced it's in you too. I want to briefly talk to you this morning about how to make a lasting impression. How to make a lasting impression. Heavenly Father, fill me up and pour me out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands. Come on, let's clap our hands and give God praise for his word this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say this by way of introduction. Kids are only kids for a short while. Now, that ought to make some of y'all happy, and at the same time, it ought to make you sad. They are only kids for a short while. Listen, they may forever be your kid, but they are only kids for a small amount of time. They become legal adults at the age of 18. Now, I know we could all argue they're not fully ready for adulthood like they think they are at 18. But by the time, in this world, by the time they're 15, 16, 17, they're already experiencing young adulthood. And legally, at 18, they're an adult. I want you to think about this math for a second. If your kid grows up and lives to be 75 years old. But they were only a kid for 18 years. 
That means that 24% of their life, they were a kid. This is depressing. You spend most of your time on this planet as an adult, not a child. Remember how when you were a child, you felt like you were going to live forever? Remember how you felt like you were 10 foot tall and bulletproof? You were invincible? Come on. Some of our ankles, some of our knees, some of our hips, some of our L5s and our C2s could testify that we're not invincible. We're no longer kids. There's sometimes my kids will be like, hey, I need you to come do this with me. Jump off this thing. And I'm like, you don't understand. If I jump off that, I'm never going to get up. I cannot do what I used to do. It's sad. It's sad. Like, here, here's another way to really, and I, look, I'm not trying to make you depressed. I'm trying to create some relatable tension of a plane of understanding so I can help you with the text here today. If your kid's in high school, start counting how many weeks you have left with them. Take, take however many weeks you have and put that many gumdrops in a jar, and every time there's a week, eat one of them. Before you know it, there's not going to be any gumdrops left in that jar. They're going to be adults. That doesn't mean they'll move out. We're not all that fortunate, right? But the, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't want mine to leave anytime soon. They know my art. Please do not leave, Anna. Stay as long as you want to and don't get married until you're 50. Here, here's the deal. 24% of our life, of their life, if we live to be in our mid-70s, is spent as a kid. You know what that means? We have a short amount of time to make a big impact. We have a short amount of time to make a lasting impression. We have a short time to make memories. We have a short time to make much of holidays, make much of vacations, celebrate our birthdays. We have a short amount of time. Like we are literally right now, the hourglass has been turned over. The sand is continuing to run. We have less time since this, this worship gathering began than we did when we got here to make the impression we need to make, to teach them, to instill value and belief in them, to give them convictions and standards, teach them how to manage money so money doesn't manage them, teach them about relationships, teach them about marriage, prepare them for eternity and not just this world. Here's the deal. We have got to make our mark on the next generation. Because I don't know if you've checked lately, but we have a world right now full of everyone and everything else that is trying to make a mark on them. And if we don't want to, somebody else will gladly make that impression on them. As parents, even if you're not a parent, you're not participating in the dedication as a church, we've got to be working together. We have to be working together to make a lasting impression on the next generation. And when I think in context of parents and church, I look back over my life, I came to know the Lord at 18. And I wasn't necessarily submerged in an atmosphere and environment that was gospel-centered my whole life. What was cool is my, God used my parents before we ever got in church as a family to make impressions on me that God would later fill and use. Like my mom taught me, about God and taught me about Christ. But the theological aspects of that never came into play until I turned 18 years old and became a Christian. But there were so many things, even despite us not being a heavily focused Christian family, there were so many things that God used my parents to impress in me. Like I learned I'm a very loving and affectionate person. And my, my parents were very loving and affectionate, hugging, kissing, just constantly reaffirming and affirming, telling me that they love me, that, that you know, I, I, I was doing a good job. And affirmation was something that was always impressed in my life. 
And I pass that on to my kids. I, I take that same thing and try to impress it in them. Good times. Not everything in life is so serious. And you can learn to laugh about stuff. I got that from my parents. Man, when we get together, I'm going over to my parents on Monday night. I cannot wait. I love going to see my mom and dad. My brother's going to be there. Their wives are going to be there. All of our kids are going to be there. And we're going to sit around that table until about 11 o'clock and, 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 and try not to throw up everything we eat from laughing so hard. Because we, we, we have a good time. We laugh. We cut up. They're both quick-witted. I got my sense of humor from both of them. We like watching people. We like interacting with people. We're interested in people. My parents made a huge impression on me with, with music. I mean, it was nothing for weeknights or weekends. I remember them opening up the, the windows in the house during the summer, and they, Daddy would turn that attic fan on, and that, that, that rushing mighty wind, it wasn't the Holy Ghost, it was Casey and the Sunshine Band. It was coming through there, and, and Barry White, and the Bee Gees, and, and Motown music, and every now and then, uh, the Oak Ridge Boys blaring out some Elvira. I mean, all that music, just that, 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 that variety of flavor, good music. That just was heavily impressed on me. And I mean, I wish I could tell you that, you know, every Saturday night, you know, we tune it into a gospel station. But I mean, every now and then, there's, there's some Motown and some funk playing at the Anglin House in Jefferson. I'm going to tell you right now, a little bit of Gap Band. Mm -hmm. See, some of y'all don't know about none of this. Some George Clinton. Y'all don't know nothing about none of that. But I'm telling you something right now. That was impressed on me. And, and then... I turned 16, I start going to a gospel preaching church, so much different than the one that we had went to sparingly growing up. For the first time in my life, the, what it meant to actually be saved, that word right there, I had never heard that, to be saved, that was impressed on me. And two years later, I became a Christian and gave my life to Jesus. The, the, here we go, the need for doctrinal and theological truth was impressed upon me. I had never been to a church service where people got excited until I went to that church. I had never been to a church service where people raised their hands in the air. Do you ever remember the church we grew up at? Anybody raised their All I remember is wasps flying around the balcony because we'd always get there late. We lived five minutes from it. We'd still get there late. And we'd have to sit in the balcony. And the whole time I'm sitting there watching that wasp fly around that wasp nest. And I remember that god-awful woman banging on that organ and hollering. You remember that? They're not going to hear this, Mom. It's okay. Just, <laughs> And it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was bad. And I never, and everybody was just so bored and just so, it was just like checking a box. And then I went to a service where somebody got up and they believed with conviction what they were preaching and it was like while they were preaching and people were rejoicing like people weren't afraid to rejoice and they weren't afraid to, to respond like I had never been to a church where, where people said amen to the preacher I thought I thought that only happened at black churches I didn't know I didn't know that, that white people can go to church I did not know that they, 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 would, they were engaged with what God was doing in the room and people would stand up and they would, they would raise their hands and they would rejoice. And, and listen, at 18, that made an impression on me. And I realized that the joy of the Lord was something that could be sensed, felt, and expressed. 
And throughout my life, I look back at all the things that God used to make an impression in my life. And I think if you and I are honest for a second, whether it was your parents, whether it was the church or somebody else, God had a way of making an impression on you. And you're the person you are today. You think the way you think. You believe the way you believe. You live the way you live. Talk to me this morning, New Grace. You are who you are because somebody made or something made a lasting impression on you. So what I want to do very quickly is I want to take this very verse because this is what happened to Timothy. Timothy was impressed upon by his grandmother, his mother, and even the Apostle Paul. I want you to look at three imprints. Write this down. These are three imprints out of the one verse. Look at the way verse number five starts. He says, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith. Underline that word. Unfeigned faith that is in you. I call this the imprint of influence. If you're with me this morning, somebody say amen. Amen. This is the imprint of influence. Unfeigned faith. He says, Paul, he says, Timothy, you have an unfeigned faith that was handed down to you. Now, what is that King James English? Can we can we retranslate that for a second for the sake of understanding? Unfeigned faith. Unfeigned means a faith. Here we go. A Christianity that is not hypocritical. A Christianity or a belief, here we go, a lifestyle of belief that is pure, authentic, genuine. Here's another way to put it. Timothy was the real deal because his mama and his grandmama were the real deal. And what he was influenced by was something called unfeigned faith, which means that if you can have an unfeigned faith, you can have a feigned faith, meaning you can have a hypocritical Christianity. I know that's an oxymoron, but that's the implication here. Remember, he's talking about how we live out our faith in front of the generation that is around us. And he says that our unfeigned faith is a faith or a love or a demonstration of our life that is legit. But that would mean that we could make, if, if we can make a true impression, that would mean that we have the ability to make a false one. You know what that means to you? It means your words are influential. It means your example is influential. It means while you're dating and trying to get back on your feet, every relationship that you enter is influential. It means if you've been married five years or you've been married 25 years, your marriage is influential. Everything you do regarding your Christianity, the way you live it out, it is making an impression with your influence. Let me ask you a question. What kind of impression are you making on your kids with your influence? One of the things I run into as a pastor with a lot of parents is this. Hey, I spent 12 years creating a false impression on my kid. Now, I am a believer. I'm a Christian, but I haven't done everything wise, and I haven't done anything right, and I spent 12, 13, 14 years making a false impression. I have to give them a disclaimer and say, that's that's okay. It's not too late, but you cannot expect to make a true impression in 12 months and reverse everything you just did for 12 years. If you just spent 12 years giving them a false impression with your influence, you probably need to give it another 12 because your child is soft clay 
And by the time they turn 16, 17, 18, that clay is hardening and they are already taking not a permanent, but but a lot more solid formation of who they're going to be and how they're going to think. So from that age of nine all the way to 14, that soft clay is very impressionable with your influence. So if you've ended up doing the wrong impression, I want to say this, it is not too late. Let me give somebody hope. It is not too late. There are some moms and some dads in this room that could bear witness and testify with the rev right now that it is not too late because some of us spent 20 plus years making the wrong impression but we ran into Jesus and when we ran into Jesus he turned our night into day he turned our death into life he turned our darkness into light he picked us up out of a horrible pit he took us out of the miry clay he set our feet can I testify he set our feet on a solid rock he established our goings he put a new song even praise into our mouth and now our children see it and our children's children see it and they say there's something different about granddaddy there's something different about nana because now they're walking with the lord and a difference is made in their life they are a new creature in christ jesus and old things are passed away and all things are become new and now they are watching you in light of who you now are because they want to see if you're real what was the first thing that happened after lazarus was risen from the dead They went to supper. They're sitting at the table. And Jew after Jew started lining up outside of Mary and Martha's house. Not just to see Lazarus. John 12 says they wanted to see Lazarus also. They wanted to see this dude who had come back from the dead. I don't care. I don't care if you have wasted away your parenting. and I I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody needs this. I don't care how much you've wasted. I don't care how much you've messed up. I don't care if you've spoken the wrong words. I don't care if you have portrayed the wrong example. I want to tell you today is a day of redemption. Today is a day of grace. Today is a day of turnaround. You say the devil has told me that I've messed it up beyond repair. If you had messed it up beyond repair, God wouldn't have brought you to this service to remind you and tell you that it is not too late. That God's about to snatch the pen out of the devil's hand. He's about to rip some pages out of the book and rewrite your story. The narrative is not yet over. Do I have anybody in this place that'll clear off a spot? I need some mamas. I need some daddies right now to activate some praise, to activate some faith and say, I refuse to believe that my child will be a statistic The cycle stops right here with me. Somebody give him praise in the house if you believe what I'm preaching. I got to teach. Sit down, sit down. I got to teach. Got to teach. It was an imprint of influence. Secondly, there's an imprint of instruction. Look what it says. It was first in your grandmama Lois. Then it was in your, look at verse 5. Then it was in your mother uh, Eunice. Then it was in you. Somebody used the imprint of instruction and passed down truth. How do you pass truth? You tell it, you teach it. Can I submit this to you quickly? You cannot teach what you do not know. You cannot give away what you do not have. You know something that drove me into the Scripture? The fact that my kids need to hear it from me. I used to, preachers could could bear witness here, I used to read the Bible because I needed something to say. 
eventually I got to a point where God's like, you need to read the Bible because there's something you need to hear. And I, I need you to know this for yourself. Because a congregation is not your first ministry. Can I say this? When I was in my 20s, I had it backwards. The congregation was my first ministry. And so the ministry that was supposed to be first that I put second fell apart. And so now I've got my priorities right. My relationship with God is the primary thing. My relationship with my wife, then my children, then the church. You're not my first ministry. You're not my second ministry. And there have been times, there have been times in my life where I had to let the phone ring. I had to let the inbox stack up. I had to let somebody else visit the hospital. I had to let somebody else make a conference call because my first ministry was sitting in my living room. And why would I want to be a preacher or a pastor where I, spent, I reached the whole world to give them to heaven, but my own kids went to hell? I don't know and I don't learn and I don't study and search out everything I do for your sake. I also do it so that I can impart it to my children because I have to tell it, I have to teach it, but I can't teach what I don't know. See, here's what's crazy. At some point, Lois and Eunice got saved. Scholars actually tell us that his mama, Eunice, was an Old Testament law-abiding Jew. She at one time did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. She was an Old Testament law-practicing Jew. Somebody got her with the gospel. Arguably, based on the order of the text, Lois got it first. I can't, I, I don't know how this happened, but maybe Lois was on her way to a synagogue and there were some people preaching outside the synagogue that day, preaching that Jesus was the Christ. And God pricked her heart. The Holy Spirit took that word, pricked her heart, opened her eyes. She became a Christian, got Eunice, went to a citizen's house, probably a Greek citizen. They had really large courtyard areas, common spaces. The rich ones, the, the wealthy ones, had large houses with common areas like this, kind of like a garden, and they would pack hundreds of people in there in Ephesus, and someone would get up and teach or preach, and then they would break off into small groups, and they would have Doritos, and they would have nachos, and they would have guacamole, and, and, and dip, and all that blessed stuff that will cling to your arteries, and slide you right in the grave, and send you into glory. They, and, and, and Lois was getting exposed to this, and Eunice was getting exposed to this. Watch this. Timothy's daddy was a Greek his daddy was not saved. Listen to me. Eunice was married to a man that didn't believe what she believed and was not going to spend eternity where she would spend eternity. Yet her son grew up to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he, he had such an impression made on his life that Paul took time to write him a pastoral letter of encouragement, reminding him, you got what you got because it was imprinted on you by the instruction of your grandmama and your mama. Which leads me to the last part. He says, I'm remembering the unfeigned, the legit faith of your Christianity that's in you. It was first in your grandmama, then it was in your mama, and now it's in you. And I am persuaded, he said, that it, I am persuaded, it's apparent, it's obvious, Tim, it's in you too. This is the imprint of instillment. Pastor JJ is going to help me close. I want to show you the imprint of instillment, meaning something has been placed within the next generation. And God is going to use something or someone to awaken it and bring it to life. Can I, can I run this right here and land the plane? Are you still with me this morning? 
Aren't you glad you go to church where we take the Bible and we make it make sense? Isn't it nice to be able to leave and go, I actually understood what they were talking about. I actually felt like God transferred some stuff into my spirit. I didn't just pay attention, but I feel like God made an investment in me while I was sitting there. He says, I am convinced that this thing that was in them, it's in you too. Here we go. It's been instilled in you. If you're raising kids or you've raised kids, you will have days, weeks, or seasons where what you see on your kid does not match the seed in your kid. Talk to me. Talk to me, New Grace. Sometimes I see things on them that don't look like the seed in them. Only heaven knows some of the things I've prayed concerning my kids. Only heaven knows some of the things I've prayed concerning your children. Probably the same things that you've prayed. But a wonderful lesson was revealed to me years ago, and I've tried to leverage this as much as possible, and I want you to leverage it too. Every church needs a parent. Listen right here. Every church needs a parent. Your church, on the average, is going to get 40 hours a year with your kid. As a parent, you get 1,000 hours a year. Every church needs a parent. There's a partnership that needs to exist here because what the church needs is you to engage your child with what God's doing in the church. It is not realistic for the church to always bring itself to your house. Sometimes you've got to take your house and you've got to bring it to where church is. And sometimes, sometimes church is happening in Baldwin. Sometimes it's happening in commerce. Sometimes it's happening at somebody's house. Sometimes it's happening on a baseball field or a park somewhere. But your job is to leverage the ability to get your child around the people that are going to lay hands on what you've instilled in your kids. Every church needs a parent. Every parent needs a church. Every kid Needs both. Every kid needs both. See, when you try to raise your kid to serve the Lord, to know the Lord, you reach a point where you're like, all right, and we're going to talk about this next week, but you reach a point where you're like, God, you got them. Man, I can trust God with a lot of stuff. One of the things that is hardest for me to trust is trusting God with my kid. Like, like Mason just got his license. My head hurts. My stomach hurts. Where's my cigarettes? Like, <laughs> oh my God, he's 16. And he, just, he just pulled out of the driveway the other day driving a Bogart. And I'm like, I can't believe he's got a license. I can't believe he's got a car. I can't believe this is happening. I can't control what's about to happen. And you know, for so long, it's like you, you want to be there in their corner or over their shoulder or you want them to know you know or, or you want them to think you know. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. Life 360 cannot foolproof everything they're going to do because they're smart. They can leave the phone somewhere and then go 10 miles down the road and do the dirty Y'all want somebody, I'm, I'm trying to keep it real. They can go down there and make some horrible decisions. And based on Live 360, oh, they're at the movies. 
I have to trust that what I've instilled in my children regarding their relationship with God, that it will go there when I cannot stand in a dorm room, when I cannot be there in an apartment, or when I cannot open the door to the back seat of a car and rip some boy out and get in his face and lay hands suddenly and pray in Jesus' name for him to see the glory of celestial angels and the deep abode thereof. I can't, I can't always be there. I can't always do that. So what I have to do is I have to trust that I've instilled something in them. What's this? And sometimes life will put stuff on them that doesn't look like the seed I've planted in them. And every now and then when you get to seeing things that looked a little warped or distorted or different than what you've been praying or believing or teaching or instructing, and the devil will come up and build a tent on your shoulder and perch up in your ear and say, yeah, all that seed... That you've been, all that seed you've been putting in them, it's buried, it's forgotten, it's in vain, it's void, and it's not gonna come to pass. And I have to remind the devil, you know what? The things that I have put in my kids, they're not buried, they're just planted. Because the same thing you're saying about my kid, you thought about the Lord Jesus. You said he's buried, you said he's done, you said he's over, you said he's never gonna rise again. But my Bible teaches and tells me that the Lord Jesus Christ, like a seed, a corn of wheat that has fallen in the ground it has died but it has to die if it's going to live again my bible teaches and tells me that after three days and three nights the lord jesus christ he arose from the grave he conquered death and hell he lives forevermore because the seed wasn't buried it was planted and it rose and it brought new life what i've what i've put in my kid i gotta believe it's been planted I'm buried. It's there. Paul told Timothy, it's in you. It's there. Listen, it's in them. And sometimes you got to believe God for what you've prayed, what you've instructed, what you valued, that it's in them. He instilled something. Rather, he had something instilled in him. Watch this. And God used the hands of the church to bring it to life. It's crazy, man. I've instilled stuff in my kids. <laughs> and, and I've said it and said it and said it. And I'm like, are they getting it? We'll do small group with them or we'll talk to them. I was sitting in the car one time. I had Mason and Atlanta with me. And I'm sitting there and it was one of them God moments, man. I'm talking the Spirit of God started giving me unction and giving me liberty and I began to pour out my heart and I laid hands on both of them and I was talking to them and I was praying with them. I mean, not spooky, not scary, you know, not nothing like that, but I was just I was just being real to them and I was trying to transfer what God had put in my heart to tell them and I'm pouring out my heart and they're looking at me and landing and staring at me intently and I'm just spilling my heart to him. As soon as I get done, he goes, you know, when you're sitting there talking and you turn your head like this, your eyebrows are so bushy, they stick out from your, like the bone and the, and the hair, it, it sticks out. Like I can see it, like when you turn and, the, and, the, and it's, do you trim them? And I'm like, what the heck? Did you hear anything I just said to you in Jesus' name? You're worried about my, are you even listening to me? But then, a Kevin Smith or Chad Self or a Hank or a Megan Brinkley can 
say something. And it's like water on seed I've been planting. You remember what Paul said? Remember the equation of growth? I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God that gave the increase. You know why every church needs a parent? Every parent needs a church? Because somebody's got a plant and somebody's got a water. And why does a kid need both? Because it takes both for God to give the increase. If you've instilled something in your children, I love right now while we're in here and I'm instilling something in you, there are people right now who are making a difference in our children. They are making a difference in the next generation. And they look at me, look at me. They are watering the seed you've been praying and the seed you've been planting, the things you're believing God for. There is somebody that you don't even know right now who is instilling truth and revelation into your children. My God, somebody help me give him praise. What a God. What a process. Listen, if you're in this room and you feel like you've made a false impression, a false start doesn't have to be a false ending. You can make a false start and the game is not over. You might feel like you lose 10 yards. That doesn't mean you lose the game. So I want you to hear me. If you've made a false impression, do what I've had to do many times. One, repent. Go to God and ask God to change your heart regarding what you've done or how you're, how you're falsely misleading or sending mixed signals to your kid. Secondly, look at me. Sit your kid down. Cut your heart open and bleed honestly. I have not been leading you the right way. I've been giving you a false impression. And God is my witness and God is my help. I'm going to do better as your parent or your grandparent. I'm going to do better in making the right impression on you. I wonder what would happen right now, how different the next generation would turn out if you and I asked God to use us to make a new impression on our kids. The cycles stop with you. They also have to start with you. Listen to me, I'm done. It's not enough. It's not enough for cycles to stop with you if you're not gonna let God start one with you. Don't just be a person that breaks a cycle and never births one. I could preach right there on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I ain't got time and I'm hungry. If it's gonna stop with you, start something new. Sometimes you got to have that Montel Jordan Christianity. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. This is how we live for God. This is how we pour our lives into church. This is what Christianity looks like. This is how we pray. This is how you read your Bible. I mean, look, you can, you can throw your kids to church 40 hours a year and go, y'all figure it out and teach them. You've got 1,000 hours a year to instill something in them that eternity will reveal. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.